Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hi friends and welcome back to another episode of Open House, a fresh, fun and real podcast where I, Louise Rumble, invite you inside the therapy room with me to learn from some of the very best psychologists, therapists and sex and intimacy coaches that I have found. No topic is off the table, no question too juicy and no experience too shameful. At Open House, everyone is welcome. And we're on a mission to develop a new mental health experience for all because we believe that true happiness is coming home to yourself under the layers and layers of you that society has told you to be. As ever, please remember that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and you should always seek professional medical help when necessary. Now, let's get into it and I'll see you on the other side. Hi, my friends. That is the intro that is usually saved for Open House Premium subscribers. The reason that you're hearing it today is because I am sharing with you an Open House Premium episode. So this is a long-form bonus episode where Dr. Terry and I discuss the 10 reasons you haven't met your person yet. And the reason that I'm releasing this for the public, for the main feed is I get asked all the time, I just don't understand why I can't find the right person. I just don't understand why I'm single. I hate being single. I just want to find a boyfriend. I just want to find a girlfriend. And the truth is there are so many areas that we can be getting in our own way and blocking our ability to find a healthy partner and to find healthy love. And those can be things that happen in the past. Those can be things that happen in the present. There are so many repeated cycles, behavioral traits, decisions that we make every single day that can get in the way of us finding healthy love. Today, Dr. Terry and I go through some of those for you. And these are 10 of the things that she sees most frequently in practice that are the cause of people not being able to find their person. And if that is you, and if you have any kind of spiritual practice whatsoever, I just want to share my belief that everything happens right on time, exactly as it is meant to, exactly when the time is right. And I know that when you're in it, it feels so unfair. You just feel like, why can't life be better or brighter or easier or more manageable? Or why do I keep dating the same person? Or why can't I find the one? But the truth is, 
one day you are going to look back and it's going to be so very, very clear why all of those men and women didn't work out for you and why all of the people that hurt you and broke your heart had to do it that way because they had to teach you lessons that would change the way you show up in your conscious reality. I look back at the many avoidant and emotionally unavailable men who made me feel so sad and so shit because they didn't pick me or they didn't choose me or they would run from intimacy as soon as things got real and I took it so personally. But because of all of those cycles, it helped me to look into my own cycles to see why I was entertaining, chasing, attracting and engaging with those types of people. And by doing that, it's also just enabled me to be able to step into this space of embracing calm, embracing stability, embracing love, embracing companionship, and stepping away from drama, hot and cold, fighting and fucking, and just being able to step into a space of love, nurture, kindness, and a lot of sex along the way too. So today's episode is a bonus one. If you want to get access to this and a back catalogue of 20 other bonus episodes, as well as four bonus episodes that come out every single month, access to our community room, The House, which has got over 450 amazing healing honeys in it, and a private Ask a Therapist room where Dr. Terry and Dr. Massimo are in to give you an answer, as well as also getting access to a very exciting live stream feature that we're going to be testing and launching over the next few months. You can head to our premium subscription for just five or $10 a month in the show notes. Other than that, let's jump into this episode. I hope you take value from it. But most of all, I hope you take value in understanding that you are worthy of love, kindness, support, and adoration just the way you are. We don't have to be on this constant healing journey. We don't have to be something different. We don't have to be prettier or thinner and all those things that we tell ourselves that if we were, then we might have found a partner by now. The truth is, as long as you are self-reflecting on your own cycles and how they show up for you, then you are one step closer to calling in a healthy partnership. I love you guys and I will see you on the other side. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to an open house bonus episode. Today, me and Dr. Terry are talking about the 10 reasons that you get your time wasted when dating. Now, you know how Dr. Terry and I work, sometimes things pop up along the way, so I can't guarantee that it's only going to be 10, but we're going to tell you 10 of the ways that Dr. Terry sees that she wishes people knew about so they can avoid them. We're going to run through how they show up in practice, how these situations develop, and also how you can do the situations differently to make sure that no one is wasting your time. So we're going to break these down into stuff happening in the present and also stuff that happened in the past that shows up in your present. I think it's a really, really interesting way to look at it because sometimes we see it all as being in the present. We're like, oh, that person keeps doing this or the same people do the same thing all the time. But what Terry's taught me is that a lot of this actually goes back to childhood, attachment. You know, we talk about it all the time. So just understanding where the roots come from some of this can help you to do things differently. Okay, so the first one, one of the reasons that you are most likely to be getting your time wasted when dating is because you are going for the wrong type of partner repeatedly. Now, I think the important word here is repeatedly. Terry, tell me everything. 
So this one is really talking about unconscious attraction. And we've talked about this, you know, in several other episodes. But basically, we are wired psychologically and neurobiologically to feel chemistry and have attraction to the same type of person based on our needs that were not met as children, based on other factors that developed and taught us who we were and how to be and how to love as children. So basically what we do is we keep choosing the same type of partner to have the same type of relationship with. And until you understand what those patterns are, you're going to keep doing that over and over again until you become aware of it so you can shift the pattern. Because most people are doing this, but they have no idea (laughs) that this is what they're doing. Can you give me some examples here? Because I feel like the ones that I'm aware of are the anxious avoidance cycle, the anxious avoidant trap. So if you have an anxious attachment style, you are constantly attracted to people with an avoidant attachment style with this kind of hope that, you know, because it's what's familiar to you, there's this hope that one day maybe you can change the outcome. And then I know that there's also like saving people and fixing people. If you constantly are going for someone that you're trying to save or care for, that's like a repetitive cycle. What else do you see here under this like umbrella of going for the wrong type of partner repeatedly? Sometimes people constantly date people where they have to chase or pursue the other person. They feel like they have to win this person's love or prove to this other person that they're worthwhile. Again, that is a pattern that goes back to childhood. Sometimes people choose partners that are abusive. Again, this is not conscious and this is not blaming of any sort. But if we are used to being subjugated or treated badly or abused, verbally abused, physically abused, we're going to be attracted to that type of partner unless we've done the healing work to change what we know to be love, what we know to be healthy. A lot of times we will choose emotionally unavailable partners because as you and I have talked about before, if we are in some way emotionally unavailable, And, you know, that can mean that we perform instead of showing up authentically, that we keep our walls up, that we never really let somebody in. So we feel safe and comfortable with partners who are not going to go deep with us emotionally, who don't really want to know us on a deeper level. And so we'll keep choosing those people that are not in touch with their emotions and therefore aren't going to be in touch with our emotions. Those are some common examples. I think this is really interesting because I put out this TikTok yesterday about anxious attachment style and loads of people started commenting like, yeah, but you know, it's my anxious attachment style is is always proved right. It it always had a reason to be worried. And I commented saying, it's not the anxious attachment style that's right. It's that your partner choice is constantly choosing the same types of people, which is then exacerbating your anxious attachment style. So I think it's the same thing. Like there can be this belief and understanding that like, oh, dating is awful. All men are awful. All women are awful. Like I hate dating. There's no one good out there. But actually the truth is, is that like you are going for the wrong type of partner repeatedly. And I think it's so important because that was me. I was like, I hate dating. There's no good men out there, like blah, blah, blah. But the truth is that's a mentality that you really have to work to shift because it's very, very limiting. But I also get that it's very difficult to truly feel like there are amazing men and women out there when you've only dated certain types of maybe subpar men and women who have caused you a lot of sometimes good times, but also a lot of emotional damage and challenge along the way. So yeah, I think that understanding of that repeated cycle is 
a very important one to start with. Absolutely. Yeah, you have to understand what that pattern is, what kind of people you've been choosing. And most people, if they look back over their relationships, they will be able to see a similar pattern, a similar type of person that they're choosing. But it doesn't have to be that way. As we change, our attraction changes, which is something that's really important to understand. Yeah, and I think it's very easy to feel like you're just going to be this way forever. And I know that a lot of us really, really struggle on this healing journey and struggle on the dating journey because it just feels like we've been dealt this hand and then we've repeatedly lived this hand so many times. But the truth is, is it can change and doing the work is taking you one step towards that. And it is a long journey and I, I don't think it is an overnight thing, but I do think at some point in a month, in six months, in one year, in five years, you will find yourself on a date with someone who, and we're going to go through all the things, you know, that are wrong so you can identify what what is right. But there will come a point where you're like, hey, wow, like these are all the things that I've never experienced in a person before. And it doesn't feel horrendous and horrible. Like I'm kind of excited that they're interested in me and they're being kind and respectful to me. So Yeah. Now, point two on the list of the top reasons that you are getting your time wasted when dating is not asking them what they want. Now, we talk about this all the time, that we live in a vacuum of silence in today's society. We're not taught to tap into our emotions as children. We're not taught to outwardly communicate them. And so then we grow up into adults that find it very difficult to have uncomfortable conversations, but also conversations where there's a potential for perceived rejection. Now I say perceived rejection because someone saying that they don't want a relationship right now is not rejection of you, but we are sensitive human beings and yeah, we can perceive it as being something to do with us. So I'd love to just hear your thoughts on this, not asking them what they want and and why that is that people do that and and really the danger of not asking that question, like what it can lead to. Yeah, you're right. In dating, especially, it's so common that we don't, sometimes we're not even aware of what we want or what we need. And so the second part of that is stating it or asking questions about those things. But if we're not even in touch with those things ourselves, that's going to be really difficult. And we've talked about this on another episode, that the very first question you need to be asking anybody who shows interest in you or asks you out, and a lot of people don't like this, is what are you looking for? If you're on an app, you say, what are you looking for on this app? If you beat somebody in the real world and they ask you out, just ask. Yeah, I would love to go out with you, but I also need to ask, what are you looking for at this point in your life? And the reason you need to ask that is because if you know that you're ready for a long-term relationship, then you don't want to waste time with people that are not. And there are a lot of people that are not intentionally dating. They're not wanting a relationship right now. They may not even be single or they may have just gotten out of a long-term relationship and they may just be more interested in casually dating. It's so important to ask these types of questions and this question in particular so that you're not wasting your time, which is the point of this episode. Yeah, it can feel very uncomfortable asking someone what they want. We feel like I'm coming on too strong. They're going to think that I'm crazy. This is too intense. I'm just going to play it chill, play it cool. If I'm cool, then 
you know, they'll think I'm cool and they'll want to spend more time. And then if we spend more time together, then maybe they'll fall in love with me. Like that is just not how intentional dating works. And as ever, no shame, no judgment. I've been there a million times. Like, oh, if I just look cute and pretty and I'm cool and I'm relaxed, like they'll realize like, hey, this chick's so cool. Like I want to spend time with her. And you're right that you need to be asking this question of what are you looking for right now? And I also think it's so great to kind of be able to explain what you're looking for as well. You know, not just, not just putting it on them. You, you really need to be clear in that yourself. And I think that that is definitely one of the first questions you need to be asking on a dating app, which I think perfectly brings us to point three. You know, the third reason that you are likely to be getting your time wasted in the dating world is basically not engaging with dating apps correctly and essentially either not asking the right questions, one of which is what we've just spoken about, or two, basically having conversations that kind of go on and on and on. So conversations that either just drop dead totally, like you're not asking the right questions, you're not being stimulating, you're just saying, how's your day? Like not referring to their profile, not referring to things that they've intentionally put on there that are topical conversation starters, or alternatively, just talking, talking, talking and then not getting a date in. And then you're kind of bonding over like a fantasy, like romantic version of them that doesn't actually exist or getting really excited about something and then meeting in person and being like, I don't want to say ooh, but just, you know, when that energetic piece is not there, the chemistry is not there. Like just being like, probably oh is is the better word. Like meeting in person and being like, oh, that's not quite what I was hoping was going to happen here. So what are your thoughts on, you know, people getting their time wasted on dating apps and getting their time wasted, like talking to loads of people and never finding anyone on a dating app that's like the right person for them. So it's just like cycles going round and round and round. Yes, this happens so often. And I always tell people that your luck on the dating apps or your success on the dating apps is going to depend on the kind of questions that you're asking. So ask the questions you want to know the answer to cut the small talk. You can be light, you can be funny, but ask the right questions. If you have deal breakers, ask about those. If you want to know more about anything, how they feel about something, because it's important to you, then those are the questions you should be asking. And you said a little bit ago, Louise, like, you know, people just want to play it cool. They don't want to ask the questions. But the thing is, you have to understand it's cool to know what you want. And the right people will also find that cool and refreshing. And the wrong people won't. The wrong people will will say, this feels like an interview. And I, I hear this all the time from people like, I don't want it to feel like an interview. But listen, the point of the dating apps is to find a match. It's not to go on there and have superficial, stupid conversations. So the point of the dating apps is to filter. And in a sense, you are interviewing people. You can do it in a light, funny way that's you, but you have to be asking the questions that matter. If you're not, you're going to burn yourself out and you're going to waste time. And I totally agree with you. Meet sooner rather than later. Before you meet, you need to ask, what are you looking for? You need to ask those deal breaker questions. You need to ask the things that are important to you. But then Go meet in real life and see if there is that spark. That is the best way to do the app. Dating app burnout is a real thing. Like you get the dopamine hits and then you're like, oh God, this is pointless. There's all these chats. I've matched with all these people. No one's messaging me. I don't know what to say to them when I message them, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, I think that's very important. 
And I love what you said about the interview because we are so scared to ask questions. But then if you're not asking questions, what on earth are you talking about? Like, oh, did you watch the Super Bowl? Oh, are you going on like, are you going on holiday soon? Like, oh, where were you in that picture? You know, you're never going to connect with someone or even see if there's the potential to connect with someone if those are the types of questions you're asking. So I would even like, I mean, I know that I'm a very specific type of person that doesn't feel like any shame about anything, but I would even like explicitly say like, okay, cool. So we're all here to find the match. Like, let's get into it. Like, let's get into the juicy questions. Like, what do you want to know? And make it like a fun, flirty, like experience, you know, it, it doesn't have to be an interview in the traditional sense, but like, you can make it a fun one. Maybe you, maybe you play like, okay, three questions. What do you want to know about me? Go put it on them. See what three questions they ask you. If they can't ask you three questions, like this is not your person. And this is fun. I feel like I've just come up with a new dating method here. Totally. And I love this because it's so true. If you hand it over to them and say, what do you want to know about me? Pay attention to what they ask you. Is this a person of substance? Is this a person that really wants to understand you and know more about you? Or is this someone who's just superficial, focused on the physical or the external or doesn't really have much to say? Because that's going to help you weed out people too. And listen, if you don't want to waste your time, you have to weed out people. Not everybody is for you. You only want to find the ones that are. Yeah, love that. This has been one of my favorite parts of the episode so far. I feel like we've already just taken so much like very clear, direct, realistic value from that point of the discussion. Now, we've spoken there about sort of not asking questions. We don't want people to judge us. We don't want to be judged in a certain way. I think this ties really perfectly into the concept of point number four, which is poor boundaries and people pleasing. Because I think that what you're ultimately doing there on an app, if you're not asking those difficult questions, is you are people pleasing. You are trying to make to be a certain version of you that will be liked by them. But if we take this off the dating app, I'd love to know why you feel like people pleasing and poor boundaries is something that is a predominant reason that people are getting their time wasted in the dating world and what that means, like what actually poor boundaries is referencing. Yeah. So poor boundaries means that you don't understand that your needs and feelings matter and that you know how to take good care of yourself, that you will not tolerate disrespect. You won't tolerate bad behavior. Healthy boundaries means that you understand where your boundaries are. And that is the first step. So if you don't have healthy boundaries, if you don't check in with yourself enough to understand what feels good to me, what's important to me, how do I want to be treated, what's not okay to me, then you're going to get into relationships and tolerate a lot of bad behavior. Why? Because you're going to be so susceptible to empathizing with that other person or making excuses for their bad behavior and totally compromising yourself being over-accommodating. We've talked about empathy and what a beautiful quality it is. But without boundaries, empathy without boundaries is going to get you in a lot of trouble because you're going to be so busy empathizing with this other person that may not be treating you well, may be manipulating you, and not empathizing with yourself, not being self-supportive. And I see this so often that people who do not have healthy boundaries, they don't know how to honor themselves. They don't know how to speak up for themselves. They don't even know what is healthy or not healthy, that they end up putting up with behavior that is manipulative, abusive, 
selfish, low effort, inconsistent, either because they don't want to cause problems or because they don't want the relationship to end or because they're people pleasing and want to keep the other person happy. But without boundaries in your dating life, you're going to waste your time in probably some really unhealthy relationships. I think it's so important to understand that this concept of people pleasing and poor boundaries kind of taps into this like pick me, choose me, love me energy, which I know we're going to get into later in the episode in terms of things that happen in your childhood that can basically drive the foundations of just desperately wanting to be chosen in adulthood. Because if you understand that at any moment you're hoping that they're going to pick you and choose you, you understand why you let behavior slide because you don't want to pull them up on them not texting you back for two days because you don't want them to reject you. Or they've gone out three nights in a row. You just think, oh, I'm not going to say anything. Like, you know, that's one of my deal breakers that they part, that people party all the time, but I'm just going to let it slide because maybe it's just like a one-off or whatever. I think it comes back to clarity around your deal breakers, but also being able to learn how to communicate them and not being scared of being too much. Like I think that particularly females and people identifying as female really are made to feel like if we have opinions and we put our boundaries in place that it's like too much and we're aggressive and all of these things. But what I've learned, and I'm, you know, so many years ahead of many of our younger listeners, and I've learned the hard way, which is that if you don't set a boundary, like Terry said, that behavior will just continually be repeated because you're basically silently accepting that behavior without setting the boundary. And I think it's also about just being really, really clear on what your boundaries are in the early dating phase. Like if they do something that you're not happy with, you need to learn how to gently communicate and not be scared of their response and not be scared if they reject you. Because if they reject you for setting a boundary, then they're not the right person for you. And also you have to remember boundaries are for you not for them. Of course, they're not going to like the boundary. It's because you're asking to be treated a certain way. And if someone can't meet you at the level of reasonable, and I say reasonable because of course, the boundaries need to be reasonable. You can't be setting like crazy expectations. But yeah, so I think that's that's so true that if you are just constantly trying to people please and not setting boundaries, of course, you're going to get your time wasted because you're allowing time wasting behavior. Now, should we just give a couple of examples of like what that might be? So I guess what's coming to me is, for example, if someone organizes a date with you and then they don't follow up, or if someone organizes a date with you and they don't show up, or someone organizes a date with you and they rearrange, but then they don't actually rearrange. They just say, let's rain check, let's rearrange. Like for me, all of those things are red flag behaviors. And honestly, I would give them one chance to rearrange because I do think you have to like give grace and value to the fact that life is difficult and life is busy. But they also need to deal with the situation respectfully and communicate efficiently with good time notice. They can't just say 30 minutes before the date, oh, I'm going to, re- I need to rearrange, I need to rain check. And they can't disappear for three days before the date and then say, oh, sorry, like we didn't confirm. Like those things, if they happen, it needs to be like, this doesn't work for me. And how would you communicate that without feeling like you're being too much? Yeah. So if it was something that you wanted to communicate and then give them another chance on, you would say, you know, that kind of behavior isn't going to work for me. I need consistency. I need communication. Is that something you feel like you're up for? Or, you know, how do you feel about that? There are certain things that I would say are 
boundary violations and red flags that should not be given a second chance. And let me just give you a couple of examples. I had a client who went on a first date with someone and on the date, she brought up something that was kind of concerning her that a past ex like would not stop texting her and she was getting concerned, not sure what to do about it. And the guy that she was on the date with got mad at her and twisted this so that You know, it was inappropriate that she brought this up, that she was trying to make him jealous and would not let it go. And my client, who really struggled with boundaries at the time, felt horrible. She felt guilty and she continued to see this guy. And I knew from that first date, that was a horrible boundary violation. Nobody gets to tell you what's okay and not okay, what's inappropriate. Nobody gets to tell you that that was the wrong thing to do, that you're a bad person. and. It's such a subtle thing, but if somebody makes, criticizes you or makes you feel like what you're doing is wrong, that is poor boundaries. And we're going to talk later about self-trust, which is so much related to boundaries. But if you have somebody that when you're sharing authentically and freely and they criticize you or make their feelings your fault, that is a sign of very poor boundaries. And you don't want to stick around for any more of that because it's not going to change. That example is so crazy because you know the episodes that we did before on that guy that like love bombed me, then ghosted me, then orbited me. Like we've spoken about him on a couple of podcasts. He did exactly the same thing, which I've never connected the dots on, which was that I said to him at some point and, you know, looking back, I'm like, oh God, I would never, ever do this now. But I was basically like, chasing him to try and get him to confirm the date because like I had other things to do. And I was like, are we meeting or are we not? And what I said was basically like, are we meeting on Saturday at 3 p.m.? Whatever, you know, on Saturday afternoon. I can't remember what it was. Because if not, I'm going to go and see my friend Matt. He's just opened a new gym. Now this guy worked in the fitness industry. So I thought like that was a cool point of conversation. And he was like, ah, this guy like flipped his lid and was like, uh, like I, I hate girls that try and make me jealous like when I'm dating them. And I was like, whoa, like I am not trying to make you jealous. I'm just saying that if I do not see you, I'm going to go and see my friend. So it's crazy that you've said that because I've never identified that or never really thought about that behavior ever since. And yeah, I think that if you have someone that's basically canceling a date or not rearranging, I think you can just say very clearly like, hey, um, you know, last minute cancellations really don't work well for me. I'm open to you rearranging, but I'm going to let you take the lead. And that's one of my favorite phrases that I discovered this week is like explicitly saying like, you can have one more chance, but it is on you. Like you can take the lead on rearranging because you should not be suggesting alternate times. Let them take the lead. And if they don't take the lead, then you have your answer there and then. Okay. Now moving on to point five of why you are most likely to be getting your time wasted or might get your time wasted in the dating world is this concept of pacing. Now we know this, we talk about it all the time. We couldn't leave it out of the list because this is so important, but let's just give us another quick rundown of like why people might be getting their time wasted if they don't understand this concept of pacing. I mean, as you know, because we've talked about this so many times, this is one of the biggest mistakes people make. And they waste so much time because they don't pace. So what this looks like is we meet somebody, we have great chemistry with them. And so we get so excited. We start, you know, 
going on dates with them, seeing them all the time, maybe get physical right away. We feel like we're in a relationship and it's been two weeks, three weeks. We have all our hopes pinned on this person. We're picturing the future. They may be saying the same thing back to us or they may not. Because in the beginning of a relationship, so much of it is fantasy and projection (laughs) and words, right? With no like time for us to see how behavior matches words. And so what typically happens is after one month, two months, three months, some kind of conflict happens. The most common thing that comes up first. And it doesn't go well. We then see that the other person is either manipulative defensive, reactive, disappears, avoided, whatever it is. But then we're already so invested in this relationship that we're calling it that we can't say, you know what, this isn't going to work for me. And so we try to make something work with somebody who's not healthy enough to be in a healthy relationship or is not ultimately compatible with us. And if we just slow down Even though we're excited and there's a lot of chemistry and said, I'm going to spend more time with this person before I decide I'm really going to start investing in this person. I want to see what they're like in different situations. I want to learn more about their friends, about their family, about their values. I want to see how they treat me over time. If their actions match their words, how we get along, what our lifestyles are like. If we did that, When two or three months comes up and we're not feeling it or something big happens, it would be easier for us to say goodbye. But that's not usually how it works. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, and this is a lot of what our bonus content this month is focused around, you know, around these concepts of how do you identify compatibility? How do you identify chemistry? And all of that is is coming up. So stay tuned because we are here to help you on that. And I think that this exact situation happened a couple of weeks on Love Island UK, which is where these two people got in a couple. They coupled up right from the beginning. You know, they've been together for like three weeks or something. They said, I love you to each other. And then they did Casa Amor. So the girls went off to another villa and then she bought back another guy. And the guy left in the original villa was like, but we're in love with each other. Like, how can you do this to me? And the truth is, is that like, they didn't, they don't know each other. Like they hadn't identified so many things about each other. And just, I think it was the perfect example of why if you don't pace, things can really, really go wrong. And yeah, you can really get your time wasted. And I think that this concept of pacing ties into this also, this concept of control. Now, this is one of the points on this list and in today's episode that I feel most passionately about. And it's something that I really, really wish more people were aware of. We don't understand, particularly as women, that we are just as in control as men or the dominant partner or person in the dating world. I think that there is this, you know, like we said, the pick me, love me, choose me energy where, 
you don't understand that like you are in control of this. You are in control of how someone treats you, not in terms of what they do, but how you respond to it, what you tolerate, what you let them do again, whether you let them wrong you or disrespect you again. You're in control of the number of people you talk to, the types of people you talk to, you know, how long you talk to them for, how you transition that from an app to the real world. And the truth is, so many of us have this fantasy where we want this person to come in, sweep us off our feet. Everything's going to be easy, but that is not how dating works. And what I want people to understand is like, you are in control of every conversation that you have. You do not have to give away your power to someone else to choose. Like you really should not sit there waiting and hoping, romanticizing and fantasizing. And I'd love to understand what does this tie back to? Like, how do we end up being in this position of like feeling like someone else is choosing us rather than ever remembering the reality of the fact that you are choosing them just as much as they are choosing you? Well, it can go back to a lot of things in childhood, but I think probably the biggest umbrella term would be self-worth, right? Because if we really understood our power that means we would really understand our worth. We would really love and accept ourselves exactly as we are. And we would understand that it's up to us to be available for or not available for certain types of people, certain behaviors. We'd understand how to set healthy boundaries that reflect and protect our worth, right? We'd understand that our energy and our time is so valuable And we respect that. And we only allow people in our world, in our space that also respects that. So I think this is so important. And I'm really glad we're talking about it because I think particularly for women, we show up to the dating world as if we're like being interviewed for a position and we're really hoping we get hired. But my wish, just like your wish, is that women would understand. And listen, I wish I had understood this 20 years ago. I get to be the interviewer. I get to interview people. I get to be the gatekeeper of who comes in my life and who I invest my time in, not the other way around. And it's so easy. We are trained and socialized as women to give our power away you know, for so many different reasons. But if we call it back to ourselves and we say, I'm worthy, I'm enough, I know my place, I know my value, and I'm only going to let people in my life that also reflect that back to me, our lives would be completely different. And that point about self-worth is so, so important because, and we'll go into this hopefully in some other episodes at some other point, but when you understand the concept of having low self-worth can lead you to settling in relationships and accepting things that you just do not need to accept, then you can also understand how having higher self-worth can lead you into a situation where you will only let someone into your intimate space, life, energy, body, if they are really going to just add so much to you. If you have low self-worth, it's likely that you may end up with people that take, 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 or that drain you or treat you badly. But when you do have a good, strong, stable level of self-worth, you can really understand that ain't no one coming into your life, to your circle, unless they are really, really elevating like you and your experience. And that's something that I personally, you know, I've never like been in a relationship for the sake of it. I'm very, very happy being on my own. I'm very, very happy being single. 
but I really can understand that people would just settle or stay in something that is not, you know, necessarily like right, like spot on, if you understand that actually they don't believe that they're worthy of more. Okay, so we have run through those points one, two, three, four, five, and six about the things in the present that you might be doing, that other people might be doing that increase the likelihood and the susceptibility to you getting your time wasted when dating. And now we're going to take it back a bit and we're going to take it back to childhood and also dig into a couple of things that could have happened in early years of life, in childhood, in the family unit that might now show up in adulthood as you being more likely to get your time wasted. So the first one is lack of mirroring as a kid. And I would love it if you could explain to us what mirroring is. I find that word really hard to say, mirroring. What mirroring is and why no mirroring or lack of mirroring might show up as you having your time wasted in adulthood. So one of the most important jobs of a parent is to mirror back to their child what that child brings to the world, what that child brings to the family, what's unique and special and innate in that child. Unfortunately, most most of us are not taught that, so our parents were not taught that, and a lot of us did not get accurate mirroring. Some of us didn't get any mirroring, some of us didn't get accurate mirroring, and some of us got really negative mirroring as children. But the reason that mirroring is so important is this is how our self-concept is developed, that we when we are reflected back what our innate value is, what gifts and talents and qualities we bring just by being us, not by achieving, not by winning at everything, but who we are as people. If that's seen and acknowledged as children, then we grow up with a strong and healthy self-identity and self-concept. If we don't, as adults, especially in the dating world, we are desperate for information about ourselves, and especially for positive information about ourselves. We seek out that mirroring from romantic partners or potential romantic partners. And what that looks like is we become very dependent on external validation. So what does that mean as an adult in the dating world? That we are so susceptible to getting our time wasted by people who give us attention. Even if those people have no intention of, you know, being a partner to us, even if these people are not healthy enough to be healthy partners to us, even if these people are already involved in other relationships, the attention is so addictive and it feels so good. And we need it. We It's like we need as much of it as we can get that we end up with people that aren't good for us, don't treat us well, can't give us what we want, are not our equals, on and on and on. So, If you did not get that accurate mirroring as a kid, and if you haven't done that sort of work yet, you likely get drawn in by people that give you attention, say all the easy words, give you compliments, and probably don't lead to really fulfilling healthy relationships. I'm so glad that you mentioned the point of, you know, it feeling really, really good. Cause I think also understanding the neurotransmitters, and we speak about it often, and the concepts of positive reinforcement and the dopamine cycles and the anticipation of the dopamine release just as much as the actual dopamine release itself when they text you or, you know, 
yeah, waiting for them to text you can feel just as good as them actually texting you. I think that's so important is understanding that maybe we didn't get specific things as a kid, which does tie us into our next point as well, which is lack of models of love and care, which is that if you didn't get specific things as a child, all of a sudden when you get them as an adult, it's like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And I think the analogy here is like, you know, a kid that was never ever allowed sugar or was never allowed like anything naughty. It was never allowed to go to the the jungle gym or whatever those like cute play areas are, you know, take something away from someone. And then later when they have an opportunity to do so, they are going to want to gorge on sweets, like go to a sleepover, get their hands on them and just eat everything and then probably be sick because they're like, oh my God, you know, not understanding the repercussions. And I think that that that's the same thing is that if you didn't get something, if you didn't have that mirroring as a kid, then often when you grow up, you don't have that baseline for like what your model of love and care is, which I guess brings us perfectly into this point. And I think what you've taught me here is like, if you'd never had a model of a healthy reciprocal relationship between your parents or between your caregivers or in that family unit, then of course, you're not going to know what a healthy relationship is as an adult. And and I saw this TikTok and the woman wrote on it, like, you know, when daddy sets the bar, like, so high that you're always going to be treated well later in life. And it was like Valentine's Day and this little girl came running in. There were all these balloons and, you know, stuff like that. And, you know, that that's not necessary, but I think it's just like a great example of showing that like, yeah, you know, particularly in America, we don't have that in, in Britain. Like if you don't do that on Valentine's Day, it's like not weird at all. Like my boyfriend didn't do anything for me and someone in America was like, oh my God, I can't believe it. And, you know, it's, it's just different cultural things. If you're listening to this, it applies differently. But I think it just shows that like, you know, on, on Valentine's Day, if, if you're American, like you deserve to be loved and cherished and given balloons or a rose or a card or whatever that is. So I think I, I love that idea of like the model of love and care that you get as a child can really like impact you as an adult. And I'd love it if you could just explain a little bit more about that. Yeah. And I love that example. And I just want to use it to kind of go a little bit deeper for a second. So just thinking about myself, right? Like, obviously, I do this work because I'm a psychologist, but also because, like, I did a lot of my own work, right, in my own life. And so I was thinking about my dad when you brought that up. And my dad actually got me a rose every Valentine's Day. And, like, they were silk roses, so I kept them in a vase. And yet, my dad, even though he loved me so much and, you know, he did these special things for me, he was very emotionally unavailable. So I just wanted to point out for people listening that it doesn't always look one way. You know, our parents really try maybe to show up for us. But if there were needs that were not met, for instance, when we're talking about these models of healthy reciprocal, I should also say attuned love, like people that are like my parents were never really attuned to me emotionally. And that's a very common experience because most of our parents didn't get that attunement in their own childhood. So this point is really that we will replicate the kind of love that we were shown and the kind of love that we were given, right? And it really goes down to, it really comes down to the role that we played in the family. So I know we're going to do another episode on this sometimes, but just to give an example, like for me, I was always kind of the, the, empathic one in the family. I always wanted to take the emotional temperature of everybody, make sure they were doing okay, because that made me feel safe. Because my parents were kind of preoccupied with their own stuff growing up. 
And so because of that, that used to be the role I took on in my adult relationships, doing a lot of that emotional work, being the caregiver, being the over-functioner. And I think a lot of women can relate to that. Another example might be, you know, somebody who didn't get many of their needs met, who were neglected in childhood, maybe even abandoned in childhood. They may tend to abandon themselves in relationship and kind of put their own needs underground and again, focus on the needs of their partner. So this, so the reason that if you didn't get healthy models of reciprocal love and attuned love growing up, you might be wasting your time in adult relationships is because you're playing the same role. And that's something I really want people to understand is your relationships are not going to change just by meeting the right person. You have to understand what role do I continue to play out from the very beginning? And you have to be willing to change that role, maybe to be willing to learn how to receive instead of give all the time. And that can be really scary for people who don't expect to receive anything, right? It's like that that neural pathway is not carved out in our brain. So it it takes a lot of commitment and work to change our role, but we can totally do it. Yeah. And I think that these roles within the family unit is something that we haven't spoken about too much on the podcast before. So we're definitely going to need to get into them at some point, whether that's in a standard Monday episode, whether it's in bonus content, or perhaps it's in more of like a deep dive so people can help to identify which ones they were in the family unit. But I think that even understanding that there is a family unit and that people took on different roles within that, which then modeled things to us is an amazing place just to even start because I've learned something new today. So I'm super grateful for that. And I think that this point ties really nicely into this concept of trust, which is point nine on our list of why you might get your time wasted. One of the reasons that you are more likely to get your time wasted in the dating stage is if you do not trust yourself. And I guess that partially that ties back to a level of like attunement and like connecting to your emotions and being validated in your emotions. And, you know, rather than being sat in silence and no one saying like, it's okay to feel this way. If someone constantly says to you, stop crying, stop crying. Why are you crying? You know, you're never going to trust the truth that like, it's okay to, tr- to cry when you're sad. So I'd love it if you could just expand a little bit on this, this concept of trust. Yeah, this is another big one that I see is people not trusting their own intuition, their own feelings, their own gut feeling. And you you talked about like as a child, if you weren't given the space to do that, to have feelings, you know, if you were told quit crying. And that is one example like that. Another example would be when we were shamed for having feelings or told that our feelings were wrong, told that our feelings were selfish. If we got those messages growing up, then we learned not to trust our own wisdom. Because in reality, our feeling, our intuition, the things happening in our body are trying to communicate with us. Something is going on that needs to be paid attention to. And if we were taught either to ignore or detach from that wisdom, or that we can't trust that wisdom, we're going to be like traveling down a road without a map. Like literally, we have the map built into us. But if we were taught not to trust it, we're going to be very lost in relationships and we're going to end up wasting our time because 
when we're in relationships, you know, close relationships, romantic relationships bring up big feelings. And those big feelings are wisdom. They help us understand, okay, something's going on here that needs to be addressed. There's a need here that's not being met. I'm feeling a certain way because something's happening. If we don't use that wisdom to then attend to things in the relationship or communicate, it's the opposite of of what we need to be doing. So we're going to be very lost and stuck and wasting time in relationships with people that either can't meet our needs because we're not communicating our needs or can't meet our needs because they're not healthy enough or not interested in meeting our needs. Does that make sense? total sense. And I love this as well, because I don't think we've really spoken about this before on the podcast either. You know, we've touched on it briefly, but I think it's great that we're going into it more deeply. And I think, you know, on the podcast, we're also moving more into the body space and this deep connection with mental health and also the body. And I think that, you know, that vagus nerve that connects your brain to your stomach, you, you can feel a lot of things in your body. And so many of us are taught to disconnect from that, to disassociate from that. And part of the healing journey alongside being in conscious talk therapy is learning the more somatic side of things and how to tap into your body, to be safe in your body, to listen to the messages it's giving you. And I know that if anyone, you know, is like me, you'll feel like, yeah, well, why would I ever trust my body? Because it just gives me anxious signals about everything. And the truth is, is that that's because your nervous system is dysregulated. So it's functioning in a state of anxiety. And when you learn and work to heal that, you also then can understand that underneath that is your intuition. And that's the thing that happens in your body, in your stomach. It doesn't happen in your head. It's not conscious thoughts. It's not fears. It's not worries. So I love this. And I think that we're also going to be looking at a new generation of conscious parenting where parents start to teach their kids and their kiddies to tap into their body. You know, how does that feel? How does that feel? How do you feel in a way that I don't think current generations have done? And that is no fault of any generation. We are just developing and changing. And I think that kind of the overarching point 10 on why you are most likely to get your time wasted in the dating phase is like, the perfect overarching piece of all of the things we've spoken about today. And that is attachment hunger. And we speak about it all the time, but I think that there are so many points here which drive this attachment hunger, things happening in the present, things happening in the past, not trusting the truth of what's really going on and being clouded by this deep need to connect with someone, to be loved by someone, to be chosen by someone, to break the cycles that you experienced in childhood. So as we come to wrap up today's incredible episode, which I'm like loving every single second of, I'd love it if you could once again recap on what attachment hunger is and why it can be so dangerous in terms of like how it can get in the way of you having a healthy dating experience where you don't get your time wasted. Yeah. So as we've talked about before, attachment needs are really met within those first few years of life. And it comes down to if your caregivers were attuned and responsive to your emotions, to your needs during those developmental periods. Many of us did not have that consistent attunedness from our caregivers, and so we grew up with some attachment wounds, right? Now, attachment hunger is when we those wounds kind of drive our relationships. And we, instead of choosing partners based on compatibility and whether they elevate our life and how well they treat us, we are trying desperately to get those attachment needs 
met, to get that attunement, to get that validation, to get somebody to see us and hear us and love us. This is mostly unconscious, of course, probably more conscious now if you've been listening to this podcast. But here's the problem with that. Nobody you date is ever going to be able to heal that attachment hunger in you. Nobody is going to be able to mend that wound that you have. Nobody's going to be able to heal you. Even though I know it seems like that would be so easy just to get the love and validation and attunement from a partner. But it's like a partner can meet those needs to a certain degree, can make you feel seen, loved, hurt. But if it's not, if you're not feeding yourself, if you haven't started to do that work from the inside, you're going to be constantly hungry no matter how much you get from that partner. And you're going to be dependent on that partner to keep feeding you. And it's going to tax the relationship and the other person. So what I want people to understand is that you need to start the healing work to mend and heal that wound on your own. And other people can be a part of that, but they can't do it for you. If you keep being dependent on them, just like we say, like if you have an anxious attachment, you only feel as good as your last interaction. You feel satiated in the moment and then you're hungry again, right? And that's how it is with any attachment style, with any attachment wound. But when we start doing the healing work, we can heal from the inside. So we start to feel full and whole and we aren't as dependent on other people. And before we realize that we're doing this, we look at other people as a means to an end. We will attach, try to get our needs met through them. And we're wasting our time because it's never going to work that way. Yes. And I think that is the perfect place to end today because so much of this goes back to attachment, attachment wounding, childhood, the models of love. It all ties into this concept of attachment hunger, which is like, if someone can just love me, pick me, choose me, then everything is going to be okay. Everything I experienced in childhood will be rewritten. Everything will be worth it in the end. And like Dr. Terry said, so much of this is subconscious. Like it's not always conscious. So if you haven't already listened to the episodes on attachment hunger, I'm sure you have. If you're here listening on our premium episodes, then do be sure to go back and listen to them or just go back and listen to them again. I think it was such an important episode we did on why we ignore red flags. And that's that's similar to what we're talking about today is like you ignore red flags because of so many of the things that we've spoken about. So yeah, I think that is the perfect place to wrap up. And just grateful for everyone listening on this. I think there's been so much actionable info in this episode, in this bonus episode where we really can be like, okay, yeah, I'm going to change that. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do this. And that's ultimately all we can really want to give you because we want to give you actionable tips, tricks, and tools that can really, really help you on your way. So thank you, Dr. Terry. I love you. I'm sure maybe we'll be back with a part two at some point, but you've covered so much today. So thank you. To everyone listening, thank you to you, Dr. Terry, and we will see you all very soon. 